Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church. Finally back again. I had eye surgery, cataract surgery, and uh, still blurry, having a little problem. So uh, if you see me squinting, I can only read with one eye. So if you, I'm looking down, trying to read with my old glasses and one eye and squinting. So it's not like I'm turning evil or something, you know, revelations. Uh, but uh, it's because I, I can't see. So anyway... <laughs> Today we're going to talk about the real story, the story behind the scenes, the real story, the story behind Easter and Christmas, really. We're just having Easter tomorrow, Resurrection Sunday tomorrow, lots of eggs and candy, and of course church can be exciting, very, very exciting. And Easter, there's all, and Christmas both, there's lots of warm fuzzies, happy times, memories, church is exciting, everything's exciting. But we're going to look at the true story behind Easter. Easter and Christmas, Christmas and Easter, and in Revelation chapter 12, and we're going to see there aren't a lot of warm fuzzies, it's a spiritual war. Uh, the, the Behind the scenes, there's a real a spiritual war that happened for both situations, both for Christmas and Easter. Let's start off with prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you uh, that I can see a little bit today, and just pray that we could all see spiritually. Our eyes would clear, our sight would clear, we would be able to see what your word is saying to each of us, Father. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here we go. We are in Revelation 12, and we're going to do the first six verses this time, it's going to take three different sermons to get through Revelation 12. A lot of great stuff here, but first six verses. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with sun and the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in the heaven in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Wow, wow, wow. So, first of all, we see in verses 1 and 2, I'm going to read these again. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain and was and she was about to give birth. So we see the first sign is a pregnant woman. A pregnant woman. It's called a great sign. A great sign. The word actually is mega in Greek. Mega sign. It was symbolic with a message. Very important message. What's so great about this sign? The baby that she is carrying is what is so great. She's great with child. That's what's so great as we will see. Who was this woman? Now, some people say this was Mary. Mary, this was Mary, but that's impossible because we're going to see later on in verse 13 that she's still on earth in the middle of the tribulation. So it can't be Mary. Uh, Mary Baker Eddy, who founded the cult, Christian science cult, claimed that she was this woman and she was going to have this baby and blah, blah, blah. And the dragon was the mortal mind and Enough said. You can read about Christian science cult if you want to. But she claimed she was the woman. Some say that the woman is the church. 
The woman is the church, but very, very, un- well, it's not. It's not the church. Uh, there's no such thing as replacement theology. The church has not replaced Israel. All right, that's a, that's a false, borderline, it's, it's a false teaching. I'm going to say it, you know. It's a very dangerous teaching. Uh, but it's also very unlikely because there's a 66% chance that the church won't be here by this time, all right? Pre-trip, mid Mid-trib uh, rapture, 66% chance, okay? We're hoping it's 100% chance. Anyway, anywho, uh, so who does that leave? Israel. It's very obviously the nation of Israel, very easy to identify. 12 stars, 12 uh, tribes. Uh, Genesis 12.3 talks about Israel. In Genesis 12.3 where it says, um, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. So we, we see in that, that the Messiah will be born to Abraham's seed. This is all talking about the Messiah being born and, and ascended. And so it has to be Israel. Also in Isaiah 26, 17 and 18, uh, we see that Israel is often referred to as a woman in labor. This is just one example. Isaiah 26, 17, As a woman with child and about to give birth, writhes in pain and cries out in her pain. So we are in your presence, O Lord. Uh, over and over again we see that Israel is referred to a woman giving birth oftentimes. Israel was off also in, in, in birth is agony. Giving birth is agony as we see this woman is in birth. Uh, I've seen 13 births. <laughs> Talk about agony. A lot of people say, oh, well, you know, Kim, she must not have any complications with pregnancy. That's why she had so many kids. Listen, she had lots of complications. It's a miracle she had more than one child, even after the first one is unbelievable, but even just so many complications. You talk about, about agony. Uh, but So I've seen the agony of birth up close. First five, she didn't use uh, any of the drugs either, so ooh, that was tough. Um, I know it's all different now, but, uh, but Israel was in agony. Agony of birth. At the time of Jesus Christ's birth, she was in agony. She was under Roman bondage. There was an intense messianic expectation just waiting for the Messiah. And so that's the first sign is the pregnant woman. The second sign in verse 3 is the dragon. The second sign, verse 3, is the dragon. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Uh, the second dra- sign is the dragon. Who is this? There are so many different s- stories about this guy in the ten... Well, anyway, it's crazy. The Bible tells us it's, it's, it's Satan. Verse 9 comes right out and tells us it's Satan. He's like the dragon smog and the hobbit, you know, with this horrible dragon. The dragon uh, is... Used 12 times in the New Testament, all in the book of Revelation. It's symbolic of a powerful, dangerous enemy. He is red, mur- blood red, which is a murderous picture of murderous. He has 10 horns and, and, and seven heads. We know exactly what this is because of Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. It's talking about the Antichrist was his confederation of 10 kingdoms, uh, 10 kings. Three rebel, which is why there's only seven after that. Three rebel, and he wipes them out. They're terminated. Uh, whenever you see, keep your eyes open. It's going to happen suddenly. Watch for the European Union and the UN to, to divide up the world into ten regions. When that happens, you know. Be ready, for, hopefully, for the rapture. But it won't be long till the second coming. Uh, whichever, you know, however that works out. It won't be long at all until that happens. Uh, verse 4. We see in verse 4 uh, also where it says what the dragon did. 
Um, trying to close this eye. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so he might devour her child the moment it was born. A third of the stars, what Satan did when he rebelled against God, wanted to sit up on the throne next to God. When that happened, he, God threw him out of heaven uh, for the first time. Second time we're going to see here in, the, in, in Revelation 12. A second time they're finally cast out for, for a final cast out, but, but he took a third of the angels with him. Third of the stars, third of the angels went with him. Although they are cast out of heaven, although they were cast out of heaven, they were still, they're still given some limited access to heaven. We see that in Job. Satan goes up before God. Some access now, kind of like college. They go off to college, but they still show up with their dirty laundry. There's still some limited access uh, for our kids, some limited access for these fallen angels. And so we see Satan's history. Just do a quick history lesson from Satan before we go a little bit further here. Uh, looking more at verse 4 here. He... Um, he was thrown out of heaven the first time when he rebelled against God. Remember Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Uh, so Jesus was there <laughs> giving him the big kick. Uh, he goes straight to the earth. Once he's kicked out, he goes straight to the earth. He can't beat God. He can't beat the Son. He can't beat the Holy Spirit. So he tries to get revenge on God's kids. He goes to earth and he tempts Adam and Eve. He causes them to fall. He succeeds, but he is cursed in the process. He is cursed Satan and the, the serpent, Satan in the serpent is cursed. Uh, Genesis 3.15 and Genesis 3.15 talking about this very curse where it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Crush your head, strike his heel. He's going to be part of crucifying Jesus, striking the heel, but Jesus with the resurrection is going to crush his head. And so he, he knows this prophecy that the chosen offspring is going to defeat him. He does all that he can do to stop it. He has Cain, he gets Cain to kill Abel. He has demons try to contaminate the human race so there, there can't be a Messiah born through the woman's seed. But God sends the flood, wipes out all the evil, including these, these demonic children that we see in the book of Genesis. Then, uh, then when Abraham has picked the chosen uh, seed to pick to bring the, the uh, Israel and and the Messiah through Israel. When that happens, <clears throat> we see a constant attempt to block the birth of the Messiah. We see it all throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. That's the root of anti-Semitism. Is really the demonic attacks on the messianic seed. It culminates with the attempt to kill the Christ child. We see this in verse 4. The dragon is waiting to, to devour the child. Right as soon as he's born, what did Herod try to do with tricking the, tried to trick the Magi and tried to kill the, the baby Jesus? See Satan trying to kill him right off the bat. He has two, Satan has two goals. He wants to be worshipped and he wants to block the hated Messiah who is coming. He wants to block him. And this is the same person who threw him out of heaven. Uh, Jesus threw him out of heaven. And also the prophecy of the end. He knows that when he, when he gets thrown out a second time, we're going to see this in Revelation 12, that Jesus is going to totally defeat him, wipe him out. Uh, finally, Satan has been trying to, to stop the Messiah, trying to get worshipped himself. He finally sees the opportunity he has been waiting for. He sees it fall into his lap. Judas, the traitor, and the chance to crucify Jesus on a cross. He, he does the, that very thing. He thinks he has won. He thinks he has defeated God's purpose. But three days later, it all unravels. 
It all unravels. Uh, and everything unravels. The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ completely defeats Satan. The cross and the resurrection defeats him. It backfires. His plan backfires. In fact, it does the direct opposite. Colossians 2.15 And having disarmed the power, this is what Jesus did, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That is what Jesus did. He triumphed over Satan on the cross. And then we come back to Revelation 5, uh, sorry, Revelation 12, verse 5. We come back to that and we see what happens next. Uh, <clears throat> she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations. Obvious. Who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. So what we see here, we see in verse 5 that we see the birth of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, both there. Uh, if you want to see what happened in between the, the birth and the ascension, you have to go to John's other writing, the, the, um, the Gospel of John. This John is writing the book of Revelation. You go back to the Gospel of John, you see everything that happened in between. Everything. The, the miracles, the teaching, the, 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 uh, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection. You go back to the book of John for everything in between. And you read the rest of Revelation to see how he will come again. The rest of Revelation, we're going to see how he's going to come again and rule the nations. We're going to see that this is all about Jesus. And this is going to really tick off Satan. It's going to spark a last final spiritual war. Spiritual, uh, no, no, he's already lost the war. It's going to spark a final spiritual battle and he's going to lose that final battle too. We're going to see that next time, verses 7 through 11. And he's going to want revenge on God's people, both the chosen people, Israel, and both God's children, the Christians. He's going to want revenge. We're going to see the, that in the rest of the chapter, verses 13 through 17. Don't miss that. But we, we come to verse 6 and we're going to end with this today. We come to verse 6 where it says, Revelation 12, verse 6, The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. There is a there is a prophetic jump here. From verse 5, Jesus' ascension, to verse 6, we come to the tribulation. It jumps to the middle of tribulation and jumps to the last battle and the final holocaust. All here in Revelation 12. It's a prophetic gap. We see it many, many times. As we went through Daniel, you saw it. We see it in Revelation. We see it all throughout the scriptures. A prophetic gap. It jumps to the middle of the tribulation. We know this because of Daniel and the rest of Revelation, we see this. It jumps to the last battle and the final holocaust. Okay, so we're setting all this up for the next two uh, sermons in Revelation 12. It's going to be wild, but Satan, the key here is, that what I want to focus on in, in applying it as we end here, is Satan knows that he has lost. At this point, he knows that he has lost, so now it is all about getting revenge on God's children. We're going to see that happen, but it's already happening. Satan already knows that he has lost. He can read the book of Revelation. He knows that he has lost, so now it's all about getting revenge on God's children now. We're going to see that in Revelation 12 in the future, but we're already seeing it right now, the cross defeated him. It's all about getting revenge. Getting revenge on God's chosen people. The history shows the, that the constant demonic attacks on the Jewish 
people. It started with the Exodus and carries on today. It's still happening today. But God's purpose and plan for Abraham's seed will be fulfilled. Even though many Jews are apostate, many no longer follow God's word, no longer even looking for the Messiah, but there's still a remnant. Just like there's going to be a remnant revival in the church, there's a remnant that God is preserving in the Jewish people that God will preserve until Jesus comes again and his purpose for Israel will be fulfilled. I saw a great article on Purim. Uh, Purim in, in our generation. The miracles of Purim and the miracles of Exodus from Egypt happened to our generation. This is by Julie Stahl. And she wrote, at Passover, now get, get this, follow this story, it's crazy. Uh, at Passover, Jewish people recount the story of the miracle of Exodus from Egypt more than 3,000 years ago. A month earlier on Purim, they celebrated the Jewish victory over the wicked Haman who wanted to destroy the Jewish people as described in the book of of Esther. Famous Soviet dissident dissident Nate Natan Sharansky, now a citizen of Israel, told CBN News about the miracles that happened to save the Soviet Jewry from the massacre on Purim and later the massive exodus to bring them home to Israel. It wasn't just 3,000 years ago. It wasn't just Esther. There's story after story of God preserving the Jewish people and, and repeating the, the miracle of Purim. And uh, it just it just... Just amazing, and but he's telling the story about what happened in the Soviet Union. Most, I bet most of you don't even know this story. Amazing story of God's deliverance. Sharansky, uh, uh, okay, Sharansky was five years old when Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin died in 1953. It was a life-changing experience for him as he began to understand what it meant to live under the Soviet system. My father explained to me that it's a great day for us, the Jews. I should remember all my life the miracles that happened, that we are saved. He didn't tell me that this is the, that this is the day of Purim. Even if he told me, I would have been ap- I was absolutely assimilated. We grew up disconnected from anything Jewish, but that was the day of Purim, and Stalin died while planning the biggest massacre of Jewish people since the Holocaust. Sharansky said. Yeah, you're talking about Hitler. Stalin was a lot worse, a lot worse, and uh, and he he uh, he died on on Purim. Uh, Sharansky said, late leading Jewish Soviet doctors had already been arrested, tortured, and accused of poisoning the leaders of the Soviet Union. Their trial and public ex- execution was planned for the Passover. A month after Purim, Sharansky related, uh, and so what happens is they were all set up to to kill all the Jews in in the Soviet Union, millions and millions of Jews. They were getting ready to, to kill them. Uh, two million of them put in, in gulags to, to do exactly the Holocaust all over again, ship them and let them die on the way and die in, in Siberia. They were getting ready to do this to the Jewish people and Stalin died. God delivered the Jews. Two million of them made their escape. A million of them got back to Israel itself. Unbelievable. God is still delivering his people, still delivering his people and the connection to Exodus, the connection to Purim or Purim, uh, different ways people say it. Uh, So anyway, uh, Satan also not just wants to destroy the Jewish people, he also hates God's children, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. He wants to destroy us also. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, Satan can no longer keep us out of heaven. He can't take us to hell anymore. All he can do is neutralize us here 
on this planet Earth. And that's what he tries to do. But he can't touch us. We've seen that over and over in the scripture. He can't touch us without God's permission. Job 1, 8, and 9. We talked about that. So he tries to get us to hurt ourselves. Since he can't do it, he tries to get us to hurt ourselves. He tempts us to open doors that, that will steal our joy and fellowship. He tries to allow him strongholds in our life because he knows he can't touch us without God's permission. God does permit persecution, does permit trials, uh, suffering for his reason, for our refining, for our discipline. He does it, but but Satan can't just have at us, so he tries to get us to hurt ourselves, to to damage ourselves, to create strongholds in our life. He tries to thwart God's purpose for our lives through lies and deception. Lies and deception. And that's why I stress to people to read books like Victory Over Darkness and know them and be mentored through them and discipled through them through Search for Significance to to learn to break these these lies and, and break Satan's attacks on our life and stand up under the blood of Jesus Christ to learn to stand up against them. Uh, once again, Victory Over Darkness, Search for Significance. And, and if you want need someone to go through... Email me, nhcc at comcast.net. I'll get you connected with the books and with someone that disciple you through them. It reminds me of that movie Penelope. Remember the girl who's born with a pig snout? And, and I'll never forget the line that she said in there. She, at the end, she said, it's not the power of the curse, but the power that we give to the curse. Satan can't curse us. It's the power we give him. The power we give him. We have to break that power. And we, it has been broken. We can claim that. As Christians, we can all live free. If we live by the power of Jesus Christ and by the power of His Word, we can live free. John 8, John who wrote the book of Revelation, John 8, 31. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If you hold to my teaching. So many Christians don't know the Bible, don't have a biblical worldview, don't know the truth of the, the power that we have, the breaking of the curse that we have in the Scripture. And so they, they live in bondage. They live in, they are being conformed to the world and instead of being transformed by the renewing of their minds. So many Christians, we, we give Satan the power of the curse over us. But John 8.31 says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Only those who hold to Jesus' teaching are truly his disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Once you hold on, once you say, I'm not going to listen to my feelings or the world or the lies or, or temptation or my flesh. No, no. I'm going to hold to God's word. Once we do that, it, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's once we, by faith, do that, then we're set free and we break free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And all this is possible because of God's love. God's love that broke the power of sin. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved us so much that He sacrificed His Son Jesus. God is not just all love. He is holiness and justice. But His love drove Him to sacrifice His own Son Jesus Christ on a cross to die in our place 
to break the curse of sin and the curse of death and Satan's curse on us to break that. And that if we believe in him, the word believe doesn't mean just know something in your head. That doesn't do anything. The word believe means to put your, in Greek means to put your faith in, your trust in, give your life to him. That's what it means, completely depending on Jesus Christ's death and resurrection for forgiveness of sin in a brand new life. Have you ever done that? Have you ever broken the curse by putting your faith in Jesus Christ? That whoever believes in him will not perish in hell, but have everlasting life with God someday in heaven. Do you know you have that? You can have that by putting your faith in Jesus. Let's pray. As we go to prayer, wherever you are listening to this, watching this, has the curse ever been broken in your life? Has sin ever been broken in your life? Has it been forgiven? Has it been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ? Has the curse been broken? The curse of sin, Satan's strongholds on you. Has it been broken? It can be broken by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can be free now. You can have life now. Life that starts this very second and goes out through all of eternity with Jesus Christ. You can have that now if you believe, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's the simple prayer of faith. Faith always includes, true faith always includes a repentance where you say, God, I repent of my sin. I repent of letting the world squeeze me. I repent of giving into the, the sinful flesh. I repent of listening to Satan's lies. I repent of going against your word. I'm going to hold to your word. I repent. I repent. Please forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. His death, His resurrection. I put my faith in Him. I give my life to Jesus. If you have prayed that prayer, something unbelievable has happened to you. You may not fully realize it, but you're going to. You're going to open up the Bible and it's going to be on fire because the Holy Spirit is now inside of you. You're going to go to try to do old things that you used to do, the old sinful habits that you did, and you're going to be miserable. You're not going to, it's not going to be any more fun. You're not going to get satisfaction. You may still try, but you're not going to get any satisfaction. And you're going to find out very quickly that the Holy Spirit is in you. You have become a new creation in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. The Holy Spirit is in you. The curse has been broken. And now you can, and our God expects you to live a new life in Jesus Christ. If you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You are a new person in Jesus Christ. And as and I want to say as we're praying about that, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, tell somebody. Let somebody know. Email me, nhcc at comcast.net. Let somebody know. Friend, co-worker, parents, Somebody, let somebody know so they can encourage you and help you grow in your faith. But for all those who have already put our faith in Christ, are we living free? 
Are we living according to God's word? What in our life, if you hold to my teaching or really my disciples, what do we need to hold to? What have we bought? What lie in the world? What, what temptation of the flesh? What Satan's deception and stronghold have we bought and listened to? Do we have a biblical worldview that, that everything that we hear in our world has to go through the Bible? Through the screen of the Bible. It can't get through. Because we think biblically. Not worldly, not politically, not racially, not, not, not social consciously. We think biblically. Biblically. How is the, how is the Holy Spirit convicting us? What, what sin stronghold in our life? Maybe it's sexual sin. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's gluttony. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's a sinful addiction, alcohol or marijuana or drugs. could be anything, anything in our life that, that goes against what we shouldn't put into the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is our body, which belongs to the Holy Spirit. How is the Holy Spirit convicting us? Father, I pray that every one of us would be break the curse and every one of us would be live free from the curse. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Christians, Victory Over Darkness. Search for significance. Some tremendous books to read, to study, to go through with somebody, to be mentored through. Tremendous books on finding our freedom and living in our freedom in Christ. Next one's going to be really good. We're going to talk about Satan accusing. Woo! Don't miss that one. All right? God bless.